Today's going to be fun because we are kicking off a brand new series of messages called Roads to Revival. And we, uh, we started a new season last week. We talked about this new graphic on the wall, Summer R&R. And you might be new thinking, what is a season? Well, seasons, they're how we focus our faith and we give our, our time a, a focus and a purpose. And the reason I'm taking time to talk about this, there's a little QR code. You can download a digital version of this resource. We put this together every time we start a new season so that as a church, we can be moving together in the things that God has for us. There's prayers in here, ways you can be praying for us and praying for each other as a church. There's scriptures that will encourage you. There's some confessions and declarations that you can confess over your life. There's some questions to ask yourself, but most of all, it explains what this season is about because some are R&R for us. It's not rest and relaxation. It is rest, it's reformation and revival. And we talk about it in, the, in this little guide, but a reformation is a return to scripture and a revival is a renewal in your spirit. And we're going to do both of those things in this series, Roads to Revival. We're going to be going through the book of Romans. So here's what you got to know that this series is an interactive series, not just something for you to engage with on Sunday. You can engage with it throughout the week. There's a reading plan we've got for you. You can uh, take a screenshot of that. You can write it down. If you follow us on social media, we'll post the reading plan on social media this week so you can put it on your phone, always have it with you. And during this series, we're going through the book of Romans. And if maybe you're, you're kind of new to church or maybe you've never read through the book of Romans, I want to give you some pro tips as we engage with God's word together over the next six weeks. Here's the first thing. If you've never read much of the Bible or read through the book of Romans, I want to encourage you to get a translation that is easy for you to understand. The book of Romans has a lot of deep theological content, and if you are reading in the King James English, you are going to be lost unless you speak in King James English. So I know you might have grown up with that, and that's okay. But I actually want to encourage you, get, get a paraphrase. Get, get, get something that's easy for you to understand. Paraphrase is thought for thought, not just word for word. And word for word is great for study, but, but sometimes paraphrase it will allow you to, to capture the, the ideas and grab hold of the, the big ideas. That's what we're after in this series. There's actually a translation called the easy-to-read version. That's a great one. Um, there's the New Living Translation. And if you read the Bible on your phone, like I do, that's the primary way. There, there's dozens and dozens of translations that you can choose from. So get an easy-to-read translation. Second thing is take your time. We're, we're not putting a daily reading plan. This is just broken up in weeks. So maybe you started early. And that's great. But if you're starting this week, like most of us, you're going to engage in chapters 1 through 3. You don't have to read, you know, all three chapters today. You can. Maybe you want to read all three chapters every day, really get into it. Maybe you want to just take 10 minutes and focus really slow on the first chapter, but I'm going to go through these, these first three chapters this week. And, and then lastly, maybe what you want to do is do it in a group. And we have a special resource for any groups that want to go through this together. We're going to make the, the notes from the messages available, and there'll be some questions and some scriptures and discussion questions, all these things that you can engage with. It'll be emailed to you. So if you want to lead it in a group, then you can just email groups that find Velocity. And I think, well, I'm not in a group. Can I still get the resource? No, 
You have to lead a group to get it, but uh, we want to make it easy for you and just, just a way to engage with God's Word together. But we're going to be taking a journey through the book of Romans. And the first thing you got to know, this is not a verse-by-verse study. So if we tried to do that, it would probably take us just on Sundays through the end of the year if we were just going verse-by-verse because the, the theological content is so rich in this book. It's actually been said that this is one of the greatest theological documents ever written. It's very dense, very deep. But what we're going to do, it's, it's more of a guided tour. We're all going to get on the bus. I'm going to be your tour guide. I'll be announcing over the intercom when we come across the major sites and the main things we got to see. Uh, and the reason we're doing this is because you might not realize it, but a lot of our favorite verses are found in the book of Romans. It's like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, you know, all things work together for the good of those who love. God makes all things work together for the good of those who love. All these different verses, they're found in Romans. And maybe you didn't know that. You're going to discover that as we go through this together. But I also want you to see where they lie in context, how they come together and how they fit together. And if you're new to our church, generally I teach in series, but at least one time, sometimes more, but at least one time throughout the year, I like us to study a book together. Sometimes we study a topic. Sometimes we'll study a character in the Bible, like Moses or, or David. Sometimes we'll study just a couple of verses. But in this series, we're going to study a book of the Bible. And I've never done a series on Romans. This is my first time. Referenced it a lot, quoted it a lot. But to go through it together is going to be a first for, for all of us. And what I found interesting in this series that we're calling Roads to Revival is that the book of Romans, the study of this book, has launched every great awakening in church history. You can pick it out. You, you can trace it back to this. You, Augustine was converted because of the book of Romans. The Protestant Reformation, which was led by Martin Luther, the book of Romans was foundational in that. John Wesley, well, this was a catalyst in the great revivals that John Wesley led. And there's others that we could talk about, but this book has been so foundational in Great Awakenings and go on and on how it's been formative and transformative for everybody who studied it. And if you've grown up in church like I have, maybe when you hear that word revival, what you think about is really great church services. And that's true. Like that can be used that way. But that's not necessarily what we're after or what we're trying to accomplish. When we're talking about revival, revival simply means to return to life. Revival means to recover or be renewed from a state of neglect, oblivion, obscurity, or oppression, or depression. I like that, to, to recover from that, to be renewed from that, oblivion or depression, obscurity. I like that definition. Because, see, what we're after isn't just for God to move in a service. We want God to move in our soul. And it wouldn't be awesome if there was a church that you could tell just by the name that if you got there, God was going to move. That, that God is going to move in your relationships. That God is going to move in your family. He's going to move in your business. He, he's going to move in the things that matter to you. He, he's going to move in your soul and in your spirit. That's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you, if you've got something inside of you that needs to come to life, there is wisdom in God's word that we're going to discover today as we get into the book of Romans. Now, 
Perhaps you're new to church, not familiar with the Bible. Let me catch you up on this a little bit. The book of Romans is a letter written to the church in Rome by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul is not just a guy. He's also an apostle, sometimes referred to as the greatest apostle. In fact, we learn this in the very first section of this book, Romans 1. Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. One thing I see right off the bat is all of us have a calling. Paul was called to be an apostle, and he's talking to the people who are called to be his holy people. Now, Paul, might be helpful to know, was not always an apostle. For that matter, he was not always Paul. His name used to be Saul. I think it's kind of like the Kanye name change where he was like Kanye and now he's gay. I don't know, maybe. But Paul used to be Saul and, and Saul, what you got to know about him, he was, he was not a good guy. He, he was a bad guy. You mean like he was a bad Christian? No, I mean, he was a really, really bad guy. In fact, Saul was a Christian killer. Think about that just for a moment. Man, I, I don't know what your story is, what you came in here with, some of the stuff you're carrying, some of the thoughts on your mind, some of the identities and labels that have been attached to you, but think about this for a moment. Saul was a Christian killer. Maybe you've got some stuff you're not too proud of. Maybe you're an adulterer. Maybe you're an addict. Maybe you're a liar or gossip. Maybe you're a cat lover. I don't know. You could be a really, really bad person. <laughs> Whatever it is, there's still hope for you. That's the point. Think about Saul, a Christian killer, and yet God used him to be one of the greatest apostles in human history. That means despite what you've done, despite what you came in here with, you are still a candidate for God's grace. You are still a candidate to be used by God. You are still a candidate for God to do something great through your life. Whatever label you have attached to yourself, can I tell you, that is the past. It is not the future. So Paul's story it's interesting because it actually begins on a, a Roman road. He was on this road to Damascus. He didn't realize it was actually a road to revival. He was on this road to Damascus to do what he was good at doing, to kill Christians. And while he's on this road, he has a rendezvous with Jesus. He wasn't expecting it, but Jesus was. Jesus calls to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He appears to them in this blinding light. And that moment was the transformative encounter for Saul where he became Paul. So even before we begin our study, haven't even got into the book yet, I just think it's worth mentioning that Paul's story gives us hope. I just want you to receive that truth before we get into anything else. Despite what you came in here with, 
despite what you're going through presently, despite what things look like, despite how you see yourself, Paul's story gives us hope. That's why I'm calling this message today, I've got good news. I've got good news. Would you just tell somebody, fist bump three people, tell them I've got good news. I've got some good news. It's like to keep you engaged and everybody loves a good fist bump. It's encouraging. So Paul's saying, I've got good news. Probably the, the, the ultimate verse in this first chapter is where Paul says, in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel, if maybe you've heard it before, maybe you didn't know, the gospel literally means good news. That's how that word is translated. Gospel is good news. Have you ever said that phrase to someone before? Hey, I've got good news. Like any graduates in the house, right? We've got a few graduates, like a couple. We had a lot more at 9 o'clock. That's interesting. <laughs> okay, we'll try something else. You know, you, you've got, uh, you, you know, you, you're getting married. You just got engaged. I've got good news. You, you're having a baby. Say, I've got good news. When we've got good news, we have a phrase we say at our church, good news is meant to be shared. Right? Like, it's just natural for us. Whenever we have something exciting, we, you know, there's a, a restaurant we ate at. We ace the test. We, we've got somebody's getting married. Somebody's having a, a baby. Something exciting happened to us. When we've got good news, we share. Good news is meant to be shared. Don't have to force it. Don't have to think about it. Don't, don't have to stress about it. It just comes naturally. We like to share the good things in our life. That's why I thought it was interesting that Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's, that's kind of confusing to me. Because, I mean, if it's good news, why would you even have to say you're ashamed about it? I'm not ashamed to say that I'm married to Marissa. It's good news. Not ashamed to talk about my kids. That's, that's good news. You're usually ashamed of things that you're embarrassed about. Usually ashamed of things that People don't want to hear. People won't receive. But good news is exciting. We all want to know about good news. You got good news? Tell me. I want to celebrate with you. Well, before we get into that, maybe a little context would be helpful. Let me give you some context. You see, when Paul is writing to Rome, it's important to know that Rome was the superpower at the time. It, it, it was the center of culture in the known world. What that means is any good thing, any exciting thing, anything that you wanted to participate in, know about, experience, it could be found in Rome. Rome was, had the best of everything the world could offer. Now, the church in Rome that he's writing to was not a church that Paul founded. In fact, as he's writing this, he has never been there before. As of yet, he, he hasn't been there. And so he's writing this letter like an introduction. That's why he starts out by introducing himself. He says, hey, I'm Paul. You've probably heard of me. I'm servant of Christ. I'm an apostle called by God for the sake of the gospel. I've been set apart. And he's writing this church because this church has a good report. Uh, people are talking about all the things happening at the church in Rome. You see it in verse 8. 
He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. I love this. Honestly, this is my prayer for our church that people hear about the faith in this church. Man, I've, I've heard what's happening at Velocity. I've, I've heard what, what's happening in that church in, in Lawrence, Kansas, how they love people, how they serve their city, how they're making a difference in people's lives. I've heard about that church and their faith. I've heard how they love God. I've heard how they're devoted in worship. I've heard about the generosity of that church, how they're making a difference, not just in their city, but all over the world. I heard about how they care for children and they care for those that are hurting and struggling. I hear about lives being changed in that church. And I hear about how they're gathering in groups during the week. And there's such a bond and unity of the spirit in that church. I've heard about that church. Well, yeah, that's great. You're catching on. It's quick, quick, quickly becoming my favorite service because this is if one person claps, everybody claps. We learned that last week. So, uh, so I, he says, I've heard about this church. It's an amazing church. And verse 9 says, God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. So she says, I've heard about you. And since the things I've heard, it causes me to, to think about you. And when I think about you, I pray for you. And when I pray for you, here's what I pray. I, pr I pray that I can come see you soon, that there's going to be an opportunity. See, at this point in Paul's life, he, he's not a rookie apostle. He, he's actually fulfilled most of what he sought to do. He's, he's planted a lot of churches. He's seen gospel communities start up all over the known world at the time. And so at this point in his life, he, he, he's heard about this church and the good things happening there. And he's wanting to make sure that the doctrine that's being taught in Rome is the same doctrine that is being taught all over the world and the rest of churches. We learned in our last series how important doctrine is. It's really important. This is a great church. I need to make sure you've got the right doctrine. And so he says that, and, and then he goes into a large portion of this book to make sure that they understand what doctrine is, and they understand this gospel message. That's kind of the purpose of it. Well, on our journey through Romans, this week in particular, but even in this series, what we're going to discover as we follow Paul along this road is he's going to take us down some paths that we don't expect. Because the way he shows us this gospel message is really by showing us all the wrong ways we can take in life. You know, I asked you earlier, I said, do you ever use the phrase or hear that phrase, I've got good news? Most of the time, when I hear it, it's a little different. It's not, hey, I've got good news. Usually somebody comes and says, hey, I've got good news and I got bad news. I've got bad news. I'm just curious, uh, good, how many of you are good news people first? You want to hear the good news first? Yeah, some of you, good news first. How many of you are bad news people first? Bad news, yeah. How many of you just refuse to participate in anything that I ask you? 
I'm just looking for you so I can stare at you the rest of my message. <laughs> but in case you're wondering, I'm, I'm more of a bad news first person. If you've got good news and you've got bad news, I want to know the bad news first. And here's why. Because most of the time, I can't really understand the good news unless I first understand the bad news. Parents of teenagers, you relate to this? You get a call. It's two hours after curfew. You've been wondering where they've been. Say, Mom and Dad, good news. You're like, what's the good news? You are two hours late. You should have been here. You're going about to be grounded. I know there's just good, good news. I was in an accident, but I'm okay. Oh, okay, well, now that I know the bad news, the good news makes sense. And that's important because when we get to verse 16, and Paul says, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Most of us think, why would you be ashamed? Why would it take any boldness at all to share good news? If the gospel's such good news, what's there to be ashamed of, Paul? None of us are ashamed of sharing the good things in our life. Well, he tells us in the next verse, right? For the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You ever think about this? How is the righteousness of God revealed? Well, you see God's rightness his holiness, when you understand, one way to put it, your wrongness, the, the, the places where you failed, places where you've missed the mark. The Bible calls it sin. And the reason Paul is being so bold, saying he's not shamed or ashamed because he knows the gospel it's because he knows that the gospel is not always appreciated by the world. In fact, let me help you out. If it's accepted by the world, it's probably not the gospel. If the world loves it, it's probably not the gospel. If the world celebrates it, it's probably not the gospel. See, it was the gospel that actually got Jesus crucified. It was the gospel that caused the early disciples, the apostles, to be martyred. It was the gospel, this good news to the world. That's the reason the church suffered persecution. Persecution for good news? Well, you got to understand the reason is because the gospel is the good news about the bad news. That's the first point I have for you. The gospel is the good news about the bad news. You can't really understand the good news unless you understand the bad news. Now, a little story for you. 
I love doctors. We've got some great doctors in our church, thankful for doctors. But I've learned that doctors do not get paid to encourage you. Like, when you go to the doctor, they are not trying to make you feel loved and accepted. They, they are not trying to boost your ego. They, they, they are not wanting uh, to make sure that you feel good about yourself. No. The reason I can tell you this, because a couple years ago, when we were in the process of building this building and raising money and all of this was happening, I... Uh, started having some pains in my chest and at the encouragement of my wife, it's almost like the only reason I go to the doctors because the encouragement of my wife, I went to the doctor and he told me that you have high blood pressure. That's because of you. And so, <laughs> so I went to the doctor and, and he starts, you know, they, I don't know if you know kind of what happens, but like you got to take your shirt off and they hook all this stuff up to you and Really what I wanted to happen in that moment is for him to be like, man, have you been working out? Man, you look good. He's got a six-pack. Like, I don't even care if he would lie. Just lie to me. Make me feel good. You look so young. How old are you? Ford? No way. That's, you're not even. No. The doctor's job, I tell Marissa all the time, it's like, you didn't have to be true. Just lie to me. Just, just lie to me. Tell me how much, how awesome I am. I just want to hear it. Make me feel good. But the doctor's job isn't to make you feel good. It's to make you good. In fact, if you're sick and what you're doing is harming yourself and the doctor doesn't tell you that what you're doing is harming yourself, that's not love. We actually have a different word for that. We call that malpractice. So they didn't do their job. Well, in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul is acting like a good doctor. He's saying, hey, I, I, need you, I need you to understand the good news. But in order for you to understand the good news, I, I've got to give you the bad news. I need you to understand the reality of the situation. I need you to understand the reality of humanity. I need you to understand that the, the course of the world, I'm going to give you the diagnosis and I'm not ashamed of the good news. Before I can give you the good news, I got to give you the bad news. We're in a moment in culture where the church needs to be truthful about the diagnosis. Because the good news is we know the great physician. The good news is we have the solution. The good news is we can help people, but we can't give the good news if we don't give the bad news. Now, just like a good doctor, the church needs to have a good bedside manner. Nobody wants to go to a doctor's like, look, you suck, okay? I don't know how else to tell you this. Just going to give it to you straight. Nobody wants to go to that doctor. But, you know, we can be people who'll say, man, we love you and we're here to help you, but you need to know the diagnosis. You may not like us. Even if you don't like us, we're still going to serve you. You might be angry at God. 
Even if you're angry at God, we're going to let you know that there is a God who knows you and loves you and cares about you because the reality is all of us have been sick. All of us have been or are sinners, and it's only by the grace of God that we are who we are at all. Here's the good news. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. He came to save it. Jesus did not come to put shame on you for what you've done. He came to take shame off of you. He he did not come to put guilt on you. He he came to give grace to you. He, He didn't come to reveal things to hurt you. If he reveals something, it's to help you and to heal you. It's shame that keeps us away from God. It's fear that keeps us away from God. But I've got good news. If you ever really see God for who he is, it will cause you to run to him, not run from him. So Paul says, I've got good news, and I want you to know the good news. And I'm not ashamed of the good news. But in order for you to know the good news, I've got to give you the bad news. I've got to be honest with you and give you the diagnosis of the current situation and unrighteousness of humanity. So he begins to talk about this problem in Romans 1, verse 21. He says, for although they knew God, in other words, let me stop there, knowing God is not enough. They knew God, but knowing God wasn't the issue. Knowing about God wasn't the problem. Knowing who God is wasn't their deficiency. Even knowing God personally wasn't the thing that they had to remedy. No, it says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, talks about giving him his rightful place, or gave thanks to him. It's acknowledging him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And if you've ever wondered what we're witnessing in the world today, Paul goes on to describe it in detail in the next few verses. He says, it's always the result. Whenever humanity fails to acknowledge God, and he doesn't pull any punches, he says, men are going to leave their natural desire for women, pursue men. Women are going to leave their natural desire for men, pursue women. He talks about all sorts of different sins. He talks about pride and hate and gossip and murder. And when you read these first three chapters in Romans, it really is a theological understanding for the world that we're in. How are we getting to this position? Well, there's something he says I thought was really interesting. I want to point it out to you. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. See, we exchange the truth about God for a lie whenever we replace good news 
with good advice. Understand, the Bible has a lot of good advice. The Bible has wisdom for your marriage. The Bible has wisdom for your money. The Bible has wisdom for your relationships, your business, your family. It's all sorts of wisdom, all sorts of good advice. But what happens, many times we can take our eyes off of the good news, the reality that we all need the gospel, that we all need a savior, and get focused on the good advice. God, can you make this better for me? Can you help me with this issue? Can you work in my business? Can you work in my relationship? Can you help me with my family? None of these are bad things. These are all good things. We start serving a created thing rather than the creator. We start serving a good thing rather than God. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. God, I just want the good advice. Help me have better God luck in my life. I don't care about the good news. And it's really scary when we even unknowingly turn good things into God because it tells us that he gave them over to their desires. See, one of the worst things that can happen is for us to actually get what we want. Because God will let you have what you want. He will honor your choices. You want to go that way? God will let you go that way. You want to reject him? God will let you reject him. Sometimes people say, and I just, I don't understand how a good God could ever send someone to hell. Well, let me tell you, friend, God doesn't send anyone to hell. Our choices send us to hell. And God will honor your choices. If we don't want to spend time with God here, why would he force us to spend time with him in eternity? This is just one reason why coming to church matters. See, when we come to church, it reorients our life. It refocuses our priorities. We get around people of faith and we help to realign what matters and who we serve and what we're about. Another word for that process is repentance. Sometimes that's a scary word. It's really not. When Jesus came to preach the gospel, says he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and the first word he said was repent. What does that mean? Change your mind. Change your thinking. Don't, don't go the world's way. Don't operate the world's way. There's a better way. Don't, don't do things according to the world's way of doing things. Do things according to God's way. God has a better way for you. Well, sometimes people hear that think, man, I've, I've tried. I've failed. I'm, I've messed up. I know what my shortcomings are. I'm unworthy. I, I'm, I, I can't be a part. I'm going to screw it up. I'm going to mess it up. No, through Jesus, you can be part of what God is doing. Jesus came to invite you into his mission, to invite you into God's plan. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you feel about yourself. How bad you've been, Jesus did not come to destroy you. Jesus did not come to put shame on you. He came to include you into his plan and into his purpose. But it's our choice to acknowledge him that determines whether or not we'll have a part. That's what Paul said in, in verse 28. He said, since 
They thought it foolish to acknowledge God. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. See, our response to the gospel really is our choice to acknowledge God with how we live our lives. To say it another way, the gospel is not just our why, it's our way. The good news is not just our why, it's, it's our way. What do I mean by that? Well, most of us grasp this idea that the gospel is our reason. It's, it's our why. I mean, Paul said it at the very beginning. He says, I'm a servant of Christ, an apostle called by God for the gospel, set apart for the gospel. The gospel's why? And I mentioned this earlier, but every single one of us in here have a calling. You might feel like you don't have a calling, but let me assure you, friend, you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Your life is not a waste. God knew you before you were born, and he has called you. What do you mean when you say calling? Here's what I mean. I mean that you need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been placed on this earth for a God mission. It is not your, your career. It is not your job. It is not your business. But God placed you on earth at this period of time for a very specific purpose in God mission. And you need to know that every single one of us in this room, you're, you're not a mistake. You're not an accident. He knew you before he made you. He has ordered your steps and he has a purpose for your life. So you have a calling, but our response to the gospel message is to acknowledge him with, with how we live our lives. And this isn't a verse in Romans, but I thought when we're talking about roads to revival and everything Paul's talking about in Romans 1, this is very important. Proverbs chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 5, says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own wisdom. First of all, whenever we fail to acknowledge God, the only thing that's left is our own wisdom. It says, place your trust in the Lord. Don't lean into your own wisdom. Verse six, in all your ways, acknowledge him. What's that mean? In your relationships, in your family, in your marriage, in your identity, in your finances, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's the result? It says, he shall direct your paths. In other words, he will put you on the right road. Paul's gonna show you all of the wrong ways when we fail to acknowledge God. When we fail to acknowledge him and give him his place and give him glory and, and thank him for what he's done in our life, this, this is the result. There's a wrong path here. There's a wrong path here. There's a wrong path here. Proverbs tells us, but when we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he'll put us on the right path. In fact, I, I didn't include this verse. You just got to write it down, look it up for yourself. And the very next verse, uh, seven and eight, says, if you do this, it will be health to your body and strength to your bones. That sounds like revival to me. When you begin to acknowledge God, 
give him his place, he will put you on the path for a personal revival. When you start to follow Jesus, you walk a little different. Just a step at a time. Man, no, no matter where you're at, you've got some stuff that you are ashamed of, some stuff that's been holding on to you in terms of identity, some stuff that you haven't been able to get free from. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit wants to help you. He wants to come in and just a, a little step and a, a little step, a little, just he's gonna guide you. I like the fact that it's a path because it's not an overnight thing. It's not. Just like we're going through a journey in Romans, well, it's a journey with God. And just each step of the way, you acknowledge him. God, help me in this. I need your help. I, I need your perspective. I need your wisdom. I, I, I need to honor you in this place. God, ch- help change my thinking. L- let me think in, in line with your, your word and your will and your purpose. Help me to know the, the plan, the calling that you have for me. That's what repentance is, just to change. Change your mind, change your perspective.